0: Part 2 of Hippias Major by Plato, translated by George Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Socrates, I will tell you, Thou godlike Socrates, says he, do cease to give such answers and on such grounds, for they are very silly and easily confuted. But consider now whether the beautiful be something of that kind which we just now touched upon in the answer when we said of gold, that where it is becoming it is beautiful, but where not it is not so, and of all the rest likewise to which the becoming may be present. On the becoming then itself, and on its nature, do you reflect becomingly whether this happens to be the beautiful. Now, I am accustomed in such matters to assent on every occasion, for I know not what to object. But does it seem to you that the becoming is the beautiful? Hippias. Assuredly, completely so, Socrates. Socrates, let us reflect, lest we be cheated like children merely. Hippias. It is meet to reflect. Socrates. Observe, then, Do we call the becoming that which by its presence causes each of those things to which it may be present to appear beautiful, or that which causes them to be so really, or neither of these? Hippias, it appears so to me, Socrates, whether that which causes things to appear beautiful? As when a person puts on clothes or shoes which fit him, he looks more beautiful, although he is a laughing-stock. Now, if the becoming causes things to appear more beautiful than they really are, the becoming must be a deception with regard to the beautiful, and it would not be that which we are seeking, Hippias. For we are in search of that by which all things beautiful are beautiful, as in the case of the surpassing by which all things are great. For by this all things are great, and, though they may not appear so, yet, if they do surpass, they must of necessity be great. So we say of the beautiful, by which all things are beautiful, whether they appear to be so or not. Now, this cannot be the becoming, for the becoming causes things to appear more beautiful than they really are, as your reasoning says, and does not suffer them to appear as they are. But, as I said just now, that which causes them to be really beautiful, whether they appear so or not this we must endeavor to tell what it is for this we are seeking if we are seeking the beautiful hippias but the becoming socrates causes by its presence things both to be and to appear beautiful socrates it is impossible then for things really beautiful not to appear to be beautiful at least when that is present which causes them to appear so Hippias, it is impossible. Socrates, shall we then, Hippias, confess that all things really beautiful, both institutions and pursuits truly beautiful, are reputed to be beautiful, and appear so always to all men? Or, must we say, quite the contrary, that they are unknown, and that dissension and contest take place respecting these points most of all, both amongst individuals privately, and publicly among states. Hippias. In this way rather, Socrates, that they are unknown. Socrates. This would not have been unknown if the appearing to be beautiful had been added to the reality, and added it would have been had the becoming been the beautiful, and had caused things not only to be beautiful, but to appear so likewise, so that the becoming, if it were that which causes things to be beautiful, Would be that beauty in the abstract, of which we are in search, and not which causes things to appear beautiful. But if, on the other hand, the becoming merely causes things to appear only beautiful, it cannot be the beautiful of which we are in search, for this causes them to be so really. Now, to cause things to appear to be beautiful, and to be really so, is not in the power of the same thing, nor of anything else whatever. Let us then choose whether you think the becoming causes things to appear beautiful or to be so really. Hippias. I think, Socrates, to appear so. Socrates. Alas! Gone and fled away from us, Hippias, has the knowledge of what the beautiful is, especially since the becoming has been seen to be a thing different from the beautiful. Hippias. So by Zeus it has, Socrates, and to me at least very unexpectedly. Socrates. But let us not, my friend, give up seeking for it, for I have still some hope that what the beautiful is will appear again. Hippias. Altogether assuredly, Socrates, for it is not difficult to find. At least I know well that were I to retire into solitude for a little time, and commune with myself, I should describe it to you more accurately than accuracy itself. Socrates. Hold, Hippias, talk not so big. You see what trouble it has given us already, lest it should grow angry with us and run away still further than before. And yet I am saying nothing to the purpose, for you will, I think, easily find it out when you come to be alone, and do, by the gods, find it out in my presence. But if you are willing, seek it as now with me and if we find it, it will be the best of all. But if we do not, I shall be content, I think, with my misfortune, while you going away will find it easily. But if we find it now, depend upon it, I shall not trouble you by inquiring what that was which you had discovered by yourself. For the present consider it, if it seems to you to be the beautiful. I say that it is, but keep your eye on me, and give me all your attention, that I may not say anything silly. Let, then, that which is useful, be for us the beautiful, and this I say from thinking on these points. The eyes, we say, are beautiful, not when they seem to be such, but are unable to see, but when they are able and useful for seeing. Is it not so? Hippias, it is. Socrates, say we not, then, of the whole body thus, that one part of it is beautiful for running, another for wrestling, and further that all the animal kind, as a beautiful horse, and a cock, and a quail, and all utensils and vehicles for land and sea, ships and triremes, and all instruments both for music and the other arts, and pursuits and laws, and nearly everything we call beautiful, are in the same position, and looking to each of them, in what way it has been born, made, or laid down, we speak of a thing which is useful as being beautiful in what it is useful, and for what it is useful, and when it is useful. But another thing, which is entirely useless, we call not beautiful. Does it not so seem to you, Hippias? Hippias. To me it does. Socrates. Correctly, then, do we now say that the useful happens to be more than all beautiful. Hippias. Correctly, Socrates. Socrates. Now is not each thing which is able to affect anything useful so far as it is able, but that which is unable useless? Hippias. Entirely so. Socrates. Power, then, is beautiful, and want of power is not beautiful? Hippias. Very much so. And the rest of things, Socrates, testify in our favour that such is the case, but particularly as regards matters of state. For of all things it is the most beautiful for a person to be powerful in state affairs, and in his own city, but to be powerless the least so. Socrates. You say well. By the gods, then, Hippias, is not wisdom on this account the most beautiful of all things, and ignorance the least so? Hippias. What else do you think, Socrates? Socrates. Softly, my dear friend, since I have a fear about what I am saying. Hippias. What do you fear, Socrates? For your reasoning has proceeded very beautifully at present. Socrates. I wish it had, but do you consider this with me? Could a person do anything of which he knows nothing and for which he has no power? Hippias. By no means, for how could he do that for which he has no power? Socrates. Are then they who err and act wrong and do a thing unwillingly other than those who would not have so acted unless they had possessed the power? Hippias. It is evident. Socrates. But, however, they who are powerful are powerful through power, for assuredly it is not through want of power. Hippias. Certainly not. Socrates all then who do anything are able to do what they do? Hippias. Yes. Socrates. And all men, beginning from boyhood, do many more evil things than good, and err unwillingly? Hippias. The fact is so. Socrates. What then, shall we say that this power and these means, however useful they may be for the doing evil, are beautiful? Or do they want much of being so? Hippias. They want much, in my opinion, Socrates. Socrates. The powerful, then, and the useful, Hippias, are not, it seems, the beautiful. Hippias. If indeed, Socrates, it has power to do good, or is useful for things of that kind. Socrates. Away then has fled that thing, at once the powerful and the useful, as being without exception beautiful. Now this was that very thing, Hippias, which our soul, Meant to say that the beautiful consists in utility and the power to produce some good. Hippias, so it seems to me, Socrates. Now, this is the advantageous, is it not? Hippias, it is Socrates. Thus, then, beautiful bodies and beautiful institutions and wisdom and all these things we just now mentioned are beautiful because advantageous. Hippias. Evidently so. Socrates. The advantageous, then, appears to be, Hippias, to us, the beautiful. Hippias. Entirely so, Socrates. Socrates. But the advantageous is that which affects a good. Hippias. It is. Socrates. Now, that which affects is nothing else than a cause, is it not? Hippias. It is so. Socrates. Socrates the beautiful therefore is a cause of the good. Hippias, it is so. Socrates, now the cause Hippias and that of which it is the cause are different, for the cause cannot surely be a cause of a cause. Consider it in this way. Did not the cause appear to be a maker? Hippias, clearly. Socrates, that which is made by the maker is nothing else but the produced, but is not itself the maker. Hippias such is the fact socrates the produced then is one thing and the producer is another hippias yes socrates the producer then is not the cause of itself but of that which is produced by it hippias entirely so socrates if then the beautiful is the cause of a good such a good must be produced by the beautiful and for this reason as it seems we attend to intelligence, and all other beautiful things, because their work and issue are worthy of attention, as being the good, and, from what we are discovering, the beautiful is near to being in the form, as it were, of a father to the good. Hippias, entirely so, for you speak beautifully, Socrates. Socrates, say I not this too beautifully, that neither is the father the son, nor is the son the father. Hippias. Beautifully, indeed. Socrates. Nor is the cause the thing produced, nor is, on the other hand, the thing produced the cause. Hippias. You say what is true. Socrates. By Zeus, then, thou best of men, neither is the beautiful the good, nor is the good the beautiful. Or does it seem to you, from what has been said, that it is possible? Hippias. By Zeus it appears to me not possible. Socrates. Does it then please us, and are we willing to assert that the beautiful is not good, nor the good beautiful? Hippias. By Zeus it does not please me at all. Socrates. And by Zeus, Hippias, to me too it pleases the least of all the assertions we have made. Hippias. And reasonably so. Socrates. The assertion then, which just now appeared the most correct of all, that the advantageous and the useful and the powerful to do some good was the beautiful, runs the risk of not being so, but if possible of being more ridiculous than the first mentioned, in which we conceived the maiden, and each of the things before mentioned to be the beautiful. Hippias, it seems so indeed, Socrates, and I too, Hippias, have no longer where to turn myself am at a loss. Have you anything to say? Hippias, not at least for the present, but, as I said just now, I know well that on reflection I shall find it out. Socrates, but through my eagerness to know I seem to myself unable to wait your delay. For, after being somewhat in doubt, I think I have just now found out a way. For consider, if we call that beautiful which causes us to be delighted." I do not mean all pleasures, but that which arises through the hearing and the sight. How and for what could we contend? For surely beautiful men hippias, and embroidery of all kinds, and pictures of animals, and earthenware, do, when they are beautiful, delight us, while we look upon them, and so likewise do beautiful sounds, and music in general, and conversations, and story-telling produce the very same effect." so that should we say, in reply to that swaggering fellow, My man of metal, the beautiful is that which produces pleasure through the hearing and the sight. Think you that we should restrain him from his swaggering? Hippias. What the beautiful is seems, Socrates, to me at least, to be well defined. Socrates. What then shall we say, Hippias, that pursuits and institutions being pleasant through the hearing or through the sight are beautiful?' or have they some other kind of beauty? Hippias, these beautiful things will, perhaps, Socrates, lie hid from the man. Socrates, but by the dog, not from the person, Hippias, before whom I should be the most ashamed to trifle, and to pretend to say something to the purpose, when I was saying nothing. Hippias, who is he? Socrates, the son of sophroniscus who would no more suffer me to say offhand what has not been investigated than to speak as if I knew what I did not know. Hippias, to myself too it appears, since you have mentioned it, that the case is different as regards institutions. Socrates, softly Hippias, for we have fallen into the very same difficulty respecting the beautiful as we were in just now. And we are in danger of conceiving ourselves to be in a pretty easy road, Hippias. How say you so, Socrates? Socrates, I will state what to me appears to be beautiful, if indeed I am saying any to the purpose. That which relates to institutions and pursuits would perhaps appear to be not removed from the sensations which arise through the hearing and sight. But let us abide a while by the definition that what is through those senses pleasant is beautiful, without bringing before us the question relating to institutions. Now, should the man I mentioned, or anyone else ask us, why have ye, Hippias and Socrates, separated from the pleasant in general, that species of it in which ye say consists the beautiful, and yet deny that what relates to the other sensations connected with food and drink and sexual intercourse is and all the rest of such a kind, are beautiful. Or do ye assert that these are not pleasant, and that there are no pleasures at all in such sensations, nor in anything else except seeing and hearing? What shall we say, Hippias? Hippias, we will say, by all means, Socrates, that in the other things likewise there are very great pleasures. Socrates, why then, he will say, do ye take away from these pleasures really existing no less than those, their very name, and deprive them of the property of being beautiful. Because, we will say, there is not one who would not laugh at us were we to say that to eat is not a pleasant but a beautiful thing, and to smell sweet not a pleasant thing but beautiful. But with regard to sexual intercourse all would surely admit that it is to us a thing the most pleasant, but it is meat so to carry it on, if a person will do it, as that no one see him, since it is a deed the most disgraceful to behold. On our saying this, Hippias, he will perhaps remark, I now perceive that you have been of old ashamed to say that these pleasures are beautiful, because they do not seem so to men. Now I did not ask what seems to be beautiful to the multitude, but what is so in reality, whereupon we shall, I presume, state in reply, that we asserted that this part of the pleasant, arising from the sight and hearing, was a beautiful thing. But have you it in your power to use the reasoning for anything, or shall we Hippias say anything else? Hippias. Against what has been urged, Socrates, it is necessary to say no other than this. Socrates. Truly, do ye say well, he will reply. If, then, the pleasure, coming through the sight and hearing, be a beautiful thing that which does not happen to be a part of such pleasant sensations, it is clear, cannot be beautiful. Shall we confess it? Hippias. Yes. Socrates. Is, then, that which is pleasurable, he will say, through the sight, pleasurable through the sight and hearing conjointly? Or, that which is pleasurable through the hearing, pleasurable through the hearing and the sight conjointly? By no means we shall answer with that which exists through either exist through both. For this you seem to us to say, whereas we assert that each of these pleasurable things would be beautiful, taken by themselves, and both together. Should we not answer thus? Hippias, by all means, Socrates, does then, he will say, any pleasure whatever differ from any other pleasure whatever in this, namely in being a pleasure? For, I ask not whether any pleasure is greater or less, or more or less, but whether any one differs by this very thing, in one of the pleasures being a pleasure, but the other not a pleasure. Does it not seem so to us? Hippias. For it does not seem so. Socrates. For some other reason, then, he will say, than because they are pleasures, have ye selected these from all the rest? And, having some such view, with regard to both, that they differ in some respect from the rest, did ye not, looking to this, say that they are beautiful? For seeing is surely not a beautiful thing on this account, that it is through seeing. For, if this were the reason of its being beautiful, the other pleasure, that through hearing, would not be beautiful, as not partaking of that which is peculiar to the sense of seeing. Shall we say you speak the truth? Hippias, we will. Socrates. Nor, on the other hand, is the pleasure through the hearing beautiful on this account, that it is through hearing. For, then, that through seeing would not be beautiful, as not partaking of that which is peculiar to the sense of hearing. Shall we say, Hippias, that the man, in speaking so, speaks correctly? Hippias. Yes, correctly. Socrates. But both, he will rejoin, are beautiful, as you assert. For so we say? Hippias, we do. Socrates, they have then something in common and the same which causes them to be beautiful, and which belongs to both conjointly and severally to each. For otherwise they would not be beautiful conjointly and severally. Give to me a reply, as if to him. Hippias, I answer that it appears to me as you say. Socrates, If, then, these pleasures taken conjointly are affected by any circumstance, but not so if taken separately, they could not, at least under that circumstance, be beautiful. Hippias. How could it be possible, Socrates, that when neither are affected by any circumstance whatever, that both should be affected by that by which neither is affected? Socrates. You think it is impossible? Hippias. Yes for a great want of acquaintance with the nature of those things would possess me, and of speaking the present speeches. Socrates. You speak pleasantly, Hippias, for I am in danger equally of fancying. I see something so circumstanced as you aver to be impossible, but yet I see nothing clearly. Hippias, you are no danger, Socrates, but you very readily look aside. Socrates and yet many things of such a kind appear to me before my soul, but I distrust them, because they do not present themselves to you, who have made the most money of all now famed for wisdom, but only to myself, who have never made any. And I have an idea, my friend, that you are playing with me, and are willingly deceiving me. Such strong, and so many, Hippias, No one will know better than yourself, Socrates, whether I am playing with you or not, if you will only endeavour to tell me what are those things that have presented themselves to you. For you will be seen to say nothing to the purpose. For you will never find that both of us have been affected by circumstances together, by which neither you nor I have been separately. Socrates, how say you, Hippias? But perhaps you are speaking something to the purpose, and I do not understand it do you then hear from me what I wish to state more clearly? For it appears to me that what neither I have been under the circumstance of being, nor am, nor, on the other hand, what you are under such a circumstance, it is possible for both to be, and, on the other hand, that other things, which both of us are under the circumstance of being, neither of us are. Hippias. You appear to me, Socrates, to exhibit in your answers again still greater wonders than when you answered before. For just consider, if both of us were just, would not each of us be so? Or if each unjust, would not both be so? If both were in health, would not each be so? Or if each were wearied, or wounded, or struck, or were affected in any other way whatever, would not both of us be affected in the same way? Still further, if both of us happen to be made of gold, or silver, or ivory, or, if you will, well-born, or wise, or held in honour, or old, or young, or in any state you will, incident to man, is there not a great necessity for each to be so? Socrates. Most assuredly, Hippias. But neither do you, Socrates, consider things as wholes, nor do they, with whom you are wont to converse. For, taking separately the beautiful, and each of things existing, you discuss it in your discourses, cutting it into fractions, and hence things of great size, and of continuous length, escape your observation. And to such an extent have they escaped you now, that you conceive there is something, either circumstance or being, which, as regards two things taken jointly, does exist, but does not, as regards them taken singly or, on the other hand, does exist as regards each taken singly, but not as regards both taken jointly. So illogically, and inconsiderately, and sillily, and unreflectingly, do you conduct yourselves. Socrates. Such is our condition, Hippias. It is not what a man wishes, say the persons using everywhere the proverb, but what he can. But you are always assisting us with your admonitions. Since, even now, before I had been thus admonished by you how sillily we conduct ourselves, shall I give you still a plainer proof by stating what were our thoughts upon those points, or shall I not? Hippias, you will speak to one who knows already Socrates, for I am conversant with each one of those who are engaged in disputations, and how they are situated. Still, if it is more agreeable to yourself, say on. Socrates, to me indeed it will be more agreeable. For we were, thou best of men, so silly before you said so of us, as to conceive, with regard to myself and you, that each of us was one person, and that both could not be what each was, for we are not one, but two persons. Such a simpleton was I. But now we have been taught the contrary, that if both together are two persons, Each of us also is of necessity too, and that if each of us be one, it is necessary for both of us to be one. For by a continuous argument respecting being, it is not possible, according to Hippias, for it to be otherwise. But now, having been persuaded by you that whatever both of two things are, this too each of them is, I sit down here. But first, remind me, Hippias, whether you and I are one, you and I together, Or you are two, and I two. Hippias. What mean you, Socrates? Socrates. What I say? For I am afraid to speak plainly to you, because you are harsh with me whenever you seem to yourself to speak something to the purpose. But, however, tell me, is not each of us one, and so affected as to be one? Hippias. Certainly. Socrates. If, then, each of us be one, each of us must be also odd. Or, think you that one is not an odd number? Hippias. I think it is. Socrates. Are we then both odd being two? Hippias. This Socrates could not be. Socrates. But both together are even, is it not so? Hippias. Certainly. Socrates. Now because both together are even, is each of us on this account even? Hippias, certainly not. Socrates, it is not then necessary, as you said just now, that what we both are together we should be singly, and that what each is we should both be. Hippias, not in these cases, but in those I spoke of before. Socrates, these are sufficient, Hippias, for we must be content with these, since it appears that some things are so, but others not for i stated if you remember at the point from whence this conversation diverged that the pleasures through the sight and through hearing could not be beautiful in that by which each happened to be affected singly and not both jointly or both jointly and not each singly but by what they were affected jointly and singly and hence you admitted that both together and each singly were beautiful On this account, then, I conceived that, by the existence which follows upon both, they ought, if both were beautiful, to be themselves beautiful, but not by the existence wanting to the other. And I think so still. But tell me, as if at the beginning of our inquiry, if the pleasure through the sight, and that through hearing are beautiful, both jointly and each singly, does not that which makes them so follow on both jointly and each singly? Hippias. Certainly. Socrates. Is it, then, because each singly is a pleasure, and both two jointly, that they are beautiful? Or, on this account alone, because all the other pleasures would be in no respect less beautiful? For, if you remember, the latter were shown to be pleasures no less than the former. Hippias. I remember it well. Socrates but because these are through the sight and hearing, on that account it was asserted they were beautiful? Hippias, it was so asserted. Socrates, see now whether I speak the truth. It was stated, as my memory serves me, not that the pleasurable of every kind was beautiful, but such as was through the sight and hearing. Hippias, it is true. Socrates, does not this circumstance then attend on both taken together? but not on each taken singly. For by no means does each of them, as was said before, exist through both, but both through both, and each not. Is it so? Hippias. It is. Socrates. Each of them is not beautiful through that which does not attend each, for the both does not attend upon the either, so that we can by the hypothesis call both beautiful, but we cannot call either so. Or, how say we? Is it not of necessity so? Hippias. So it appears. Socrates. Shall we then say that both are beautiful, but deny that each is so? Hippias. What is to prevent it? Socrates. This seems to me, my friend, to prevent it, because there were to us some things so appertaining to each, that if they appertained to both, they would appertain likewise to each. And if to each, to both likewise, all such you went through. Is it not so? Hippias, yes. Socrates, but what I went through were not so, of which was itself the each and the both. Is it so? Hippias, it is. Socrates, of what kind, then, Hippias, does the beautiful seem to you, whether as you asserted that if I and you are strong, both are so, and if I and you are just, both are so, and if both, so too is each. And similarly, if I and you are beautiful, both are so, and if both, so too is each. Or is there nothing to prevent it, as in the case of numbers where some things taken together being even may be, when taken singly, odd, and perhaps even, or when each being taken separately is perhaps irrational, but taken both together may be rational, or perhaps irrational, and there are other things of this kind, infinite in number, which I said presented themselves to me. Now on which side do you place the beautiful, on that as it appears to me, or to yourself? For it appears to me a great absurdity for both of us to be beautiful, yet each of us not so, or for each to be beautiful, yet both not so, or as regards any other thing whatever of such a kind. Do you choose to say in this way, or that, Hippias, in this way, Socrates, Socrates, and you do wisely, Hippias, in order that we may be freed from a further search. For if any of these things is the beautiful, the pleasurable which comes through the sight and hearing would no longer be the beautiful. For the pleasurable that comes through the sight and hearing causes both taken together to be beautiful, but not either singly. This, however, cannot be— as I and you, Hippias, have agreed. Hippias, we have agreed. Socrates, it is impossible then for that which is pleasurable through the sight and hearing to be the beautiful, since a thing being produced as beautiful exhibits something of the impossible. Hippias, such is the case. Socrates, say then again from the beginning he will say, since you have erred in this, what to say you is that beauty which attends upon both these pleasures, for the sake of which you honoured them before the others, and called them beautiful? To me, Hippias, there seems a necessity to say that these are of all pleasures the most harmless, and the best, taken together and singly, or have you to state anything else by which they are different from other pleasures? Hippias, by no means, for they are in reality the best. Socrates this, then, he will say, do you now assert the beautiful to be, namely, pleasure, that is advantageous? So it seems I shall answer, but what you? Hippias, I too the same, Socrates, is not, then, he will say, the advantageous that which is the efficient of good? Now the efficient, as shown lately, is a thing different from the effect, and the reasoning has now come to you to the former reasoning. For, Neither would the good be a beautiful thing, nor would the beautiful be a good thing, since each of these is something else. This we shall more than all assert if, Hippias, we are of sound mind, for it is surely not just not to agree with him who speaks correctly. Hippias, but what, Socrates, do you conceive to be all this taken together? They are the pairings and snippings, as I said just now, of reasonings separated into little bits but that is a thing both beautiful and of great worth to be able to put together well and beautifully a speech before a court of justice, or the council-hall, or any other official tribunal before whom the speech may be addressed, and, after producing conviction, to depart, carrying off not the least but the greatest of prizes in the preservation of oneself and one's own property and that of one's friend's. These, then, you ought to lay hold of, and to bid adieu to such petty disputes, in order that you may not seem to be a simpleton, by taking, as just now, trifles and inanities in hand. Socrates, you, my dear Hippias, are a happy man, for you know what pursuits a simpleton should follow, and have followed them, as you say, sufficiently. But the misfortune of an evil genius, as it seems, lays hold of me who am wandering continually and in doubt. For when I make a display of my doubts before you wise men, I am ever bespattered with dirt by you when I make a display. For ye tell me what you tell me now, that I busy myself about matters foolish, trivial, and worthless. But when, on the other hand, convinced by you, I say as ye do, that it is by far the best thing to be able to put together well and beautifully a speech, and, and to go through it before a court of justice, or any other concourse of people, I hear myself ill-spoken of in all ways, both by some others here, but especially from that person who is always confuting me, for he happens to be my nearest of kin, and lives in the same house. Whenever then I enter my dwelling at home, and he hears me talking in this way, he asks me if I do not feel a shame in presuming to converse about beautiful pursuits, after I have been so clearly convicted that on the subject of the beautiful I do not know what it is in the abstract. And how then, says he, will you know who has put together a beautiful speech or not, or done any other beautiful act, while knowing nothing of the beautiful? And when you are in such a situation, think you it is better for you to live than to die? Thus it has happened, as I told you, for me to hear myself ill-spoken of and reproached by you, and to be abused by him. But perhaps I must endure all this, for nothing is out of place, if only I am benefited, and benefited, Hippias, I think I am, by my intercourse with both of you. For I seem to myself to understand what the proverb means. Difficult are the beautiful. End of Hippias Major